0: Welcome to our third Work Healthy podcast. This time I'm joined by my colleague and co-author Michael Burchell. When we interview the inspiration for Healthy Place to Work itself, Stanford professor Jeffrey Pfeffer, he is truly uncompromising in advocating for change on how work is designed and workplaces operate so that they don't actually damage employees' health. He shares some troubling statistics, but also gives specific solutions to how leaders can lead organizations that can be sustainable. I kicked off by asking Jeffrey where he sees organizations getting it wrong right now with regard to workforce health. You know, I'm going to give you
1: yoga, you know, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, some uh, mental health app. I'm going to give you maybe a nap pod, I'm going to, you know, give you a uh, a, a meditation app like Calm or something, Uh, but I'm not going to try. I don't see enough organizations still to this day saying I'm going to get at the root cause of the problem, you know, which is, you know, how work is designed and how much autonomy people have and do I really have policies that give people the flexibility that they need and the support. In dealing with their family situation, that they need. So, mm. so I see palliatives. I don't see much fundamental change.
0: And why is that? I mean, you know, leaders, you would imagine, aren't silly people. Um, and the evidence is clear that it's you know bad for both sides if work isn't working. So why why aren't they redesigning work? Why aren't they fundamentally looking at the the you know org design? issues that have people playing against each other rather than actually persisting with the old model?
1: I think, you know, I think the, you know, there are a lot of people selling quick solutions and, you know, it's easy and it's easier to buy, uh, you know, an app or, you know, a meditation thing or something than it is to do what they need to do. I think, you know, redesigning work is uh, around employees is harder. You know, just as, you know, redesigning products around customers was harder. It's easy to, you know, up your advertising than to take, you know, the D school at Stanford seriously and design products, you know, with features that the customers actually want. So I think people are looking for quick fixes. I also think that the workplace health tends to be lodged in human resources and human resources is not the most powerful department in most companies. Human resources is not only, frankly, the most innovative department in most companies. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, I don't think um, so. I, I don't think the initiative or, or the solution is coming from a department um, that necessarily has the, the leverage required um, and HR people themselves. I don't think have really embrace this in a fundamental way. I mean, they also, I think, are looking for quick fixes and palliatives rather than what would be required uh, to fundamentally fundamentally redesign this. And I, the parallel, I think, with customers and product design is, 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 is just completely perfect. Just as you would use design thinking to design a product that fits the customer, you could use the very same principles of design thinking to design work, uh, you know, that is a, that is uh, centered around the employee.
0: You've been talking about kind of job crafting for for years, really, haven't you? And I mean, like, it, it's coming now, to, people are starting to talk about it and they're starting to, to talk about the individualization of work, the personalization of work, like as if it's, again, something <laughs> really new. <laughs> um, so again, is it just that organizations are kind of saying, this is too hard in in maybe the same way that they didn't want remote working and any sort of hybrid working, because it was too difficult to control it and too difficult to manage it. Um, is that why, and um, will it take something else uh, to shove people on, or is the pandemic enough?
1: I don't think the pandemic is enough because the pandemic, you know, the pandemic, of course, is not over, but psychologically, the pandemic is over. Uh, You know, you see people now without masks. Uh, You know, when I was in Poland a few weeks ago, nobody had a mask on. Um, You know, Lufthansa, of course, requires masks, but the American airlines do not. Uh, So I flew over on United and almost nobody had a mask. There's no masks in the airport. Um, You see companies telling people to come back to work. So while the pandemic itself is not over, I think psychologically it's over. And so if it has not changed now, I don't think it's going to change much, um, you know, in the in the future. As a matter of fact, I just saw something on my news feed last night, which I did not bother to click in, click on. That said in the middle of the great resignation, it didn't say this, but in the middle of the great resignation, companies are now laying off people off. Did you know that layoffs are starting in the United States? Wells Fargo has apparently announced a layoff. I'm trying to remember who else was on the list of announcing layoffs, but, but there are now layoffs, this Mm -hmm. like starting. So, you know, that tells me that nobody has learned anything about anything because, you know, I saw Stanford do layoffs and then, you know, and I saw companies a variety of companies, the airlines did layoffs, and now they're trying to hire people back. And, you know, it's, as a friend of mine once said, it took, us, uh, you know, two months to decide to do the layoff, two weeks to do it, and two years to recover, and mm. and so you know you act in haste and repent in leisure. So if if companies are laying people off, I don't think they're very likely to be serious about fixing workplace health.
0: And and the way they lay people off is is still uh, terrible. I mean, coming from Europe, I think it's better here than it is sure. in the states. It's like it's quite scary. Uh, when we look at the states and find the power that leaders and managers have, that I can come to work today and be told, that's it, I'm gone, you know, no. the no. next day. It's just, how how do you play with people's lives like that? I, I find it incredible because no. you wouldn't get away with that in Europe. So um, I, I I I just think that's such a, a bad effect on people's health, the, the no. nervousness that that must bring when, because, well, you know, the truth is, there that are... That
1: economic insecurity i mean you know you you never know by the way and it's not just the layoffs for many people uh particularly the hourly workers in the us but many people uh the kind the contract workers you don't know what your schedule is going to be from one week to the next and so if you you know and so therefore you don't know what your income is going to be from one week to the next so economic insecurity is a huge cost of workplace stress as you know
0: yeah So yeah, I'm seeing, you know, talk about more about the uh, power in workplaces. I mean, you book The Seven Rules of Power. I mean, is that always going to be a problem? Uh, Because, you know, at the end of the day, workplaces are about trying to get things done. They have power structures at play. And when you sort of bring in power and when you bring in politics and maybe negative politics and, and you have a hierarchy in place and people fighting for positions, is that whole, how do you, deal with that and make that healthy when you have the, the level of power around uh, in a workplace
1: well you know i think you need leaders who are you know and there are some i mean you know you look at patagonia or barry Waymiller miller or you know um a SAS institute or whatever i think you need i mean there will always be a hierarchy there will always be a ceo on top and there and therefore it comes down to uh, the ceo um, the ceo's values And whether or not, you know, to use the words of Bob Chapman, who wrote, you know, Everybody Matters, uh, you know, he said, and I think it's true for the physical environment as it is for the human environment, there are people who are good stewards of the resources that are entrusted to them, Uh, the, the, you know, the financial resources, the physical resources, and the human resources, and then there are people who are bad stewards, And, and this is an issue of stewardship. And I think, you know, when leaders recognize that um that, that they are responsible, you know, and that, that they are ultimately in control of of both of of both their impact on the physical environment and their impact on the human environment, and they could be either good or bad stewards, and they would prefer some of them, I think would prefer to be good stewards, then I think you will see a change. But this comes down to values. I mean, this really comes down to whether or not I see, you know, it's the same thing as recycling. I mean, are you gonna, you know, Put everything in a landfill, are you going to try to recycle it. Are you going to try to be carbon neutral or not? Do you see the you do you see global warming as a crisis, or are you going to forget about it? And and I think similarly here, do you see your role as a leader as being a steward
2: or not? Mm-hmm. Michael, like do you want to come in there? Yeah, I, I do have a question, and that is, given what you just said, is there not an important role then for boards to play, and what kind of work do we do? Yes. We need to be thinking about. Yes. In terms of- Yes, boards and who they hire. Yes,
1: absolutely, completely correct. I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, and and by the way, the boards not only in terms of who they hire, but just as the boards have gotten now involved in various aspects of the ESG movement, this is a this is an important part of the ESG movement. And if the boards are concerned about the performance of the organization, given John's Mm -hmm. comment about you know the connection. Between workplace health and and economic performance, the boards the board should have more oversight. But the boards have typically not been very concerned with human resource issues. There are some that are, and there are yep. many that aren't. And so, but you're exactly right. This should be this should be part of the governance and oversight.
0: Yeah. And in terms of the reporting in the ESG, you think it absolutely, should be, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, and you know, I we just had in the U.S. Uh, the Kentucky Derby, uh, we have our the, the local basketball team, the Golden State Warriors uh, are playing in the championship again. Um, if, you, if I make you general manager of the Golden State Warriors and say, what is your number one concern? It's gonna be the physical and behavioral health of the players and you will spend a lot of time On making sure that Steph Curry can make his three point shots from a thousand miles away. And, you know, and Clay Thompson is playing and everybody's knees and whatever. And you would never say, you know, this is not important or I can't. It's, in fact, the only thing you focus on. And somewhere between the Golden State Warriors and the typical company, there's a happy medium in terms of the amount of time and attention this should be, um, this issue should receive.
0: And it's funny because, like, some people just, I don't know what it is. They don't get it. They, that that disconnect happens because I'm I'm a, a fan of a particular football team in the UK called Arsenal. And again, you know, their season fell to bits because their players got injured. And yeah, once great. it happened, the performance fell off the cliff, you know. So um I was pulling my hair out. I have virtually none left as a result of that. But I I'm, I'm also interested, uh, obviously we, we were lucky enough to catch up in Barcelona. When um, you invited me over, and uh, Nuria Chinchilla—I I, probably pronounced her name incorrectly—but Nuria Chinchilla, yes, yeah, she was talking about social pollution and this concept that you know, for years you had the environmental uh, pollution of organisations, and they never took any sort of direction in this uh, seriously until they were fined. And she was sort of coming with the concept that it'll be the same for you know organisations who socially pollute and and push people out. Wasted and burnt out into the health services of the world, that that won't change until they're actually fined. Do you actually see or have you got any hope that that is going to happen in the future?
1: I don't know. But if it starts anywhere, I believe it's most likely to start in the United Kingdom because of Sir Michael Marmot and um, uh, Dame Carol Black and their work on you know i, I think it, would, it is most likely to start in a country which has a nationalized health system because mm-hmm. the, the the concept you know when you put pollution into the air water and ground uh, somebody else pays to clean it up yep. and you know and similarly here when you put employ when you make employees ill or when the employees become so behaviorally or physically ill that they can no longer work it is society at large that that, that pays. And so, yeah. in some sense, you've externalized your costs. And therefore, you don't really see the full cost of your actions. And if you don't see the full cost of your actions, um, you will overdo things because you don't see you don't see the real prices. So part of this is not just regulation, litigation, and legislation. Part of this is also really having companies see and be responsible for their entire costs, not just, you know, so so if I fire John, you know, in the U.S. or, you know, I decide I, I make you so ill that you can't work effectively um, and then and then you're gone, you know, I don't see that cost. That cost is pushed on to the larger society. And that does not seem even economically rational, let alone rational from any other point of view. And that's one of the reasons why all over the world, um, workplace health costs are going up. I mean, you know, there is a statistic, which I think is not, I don't know if it's a dying for a paycheck, but it's certainly in talks that I've given, you know, in the United States, according to the Center for Disease Control, 90%, 90% of our entire three-point God knows what trillion dollar healthcare budget is spent on chronic disease. Chronic disease comes from, importantly, not completely, from stress and the, um, and the behaviors that stress induces, like smoking, and drinking and overeating and and you know and stress comes importantly from work so if you're going to solve the healthcare cost crisis which exists all over the world in india and china not just in the us and in uh, western europe you have to address work there's no other way i mean because too much of the disease is coming from, uh, from 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 stress and depression which comes out of the workplace
0: and it's, it's you know, really clear that demographics are having people living longer and the medical device companies in the pharma are bringing solutions to keep people alive for longer. And that means the health service just can't handle it. So it's it's a such, such a big, big problem in terms of, you know, workplaces. Now, everybody's talking about mental health. Um, do you think it's lip service and do you think they're not really getting to the core issues?
1: Of course. I mean, again, you know, so. So in in behavioral health, mental health, in physical health, prevention is much more effective and certainly much more cost effective than remediation. So yes, you can have, once once you have type 2 diabetes, there are new drugs coming on the market and there are new treatments coming on the market, but it is much cheaper and more effective to prevent it than it is to treat it, and that is also true for mental health. You know, it is much it is much better to prevent you from being stressed and depressed than it is to try to get you um, the mental health that you need once you are stressed and depressed. 61% of counties in the US have no psychiatrists in them, not one psychiatrist.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: So there is an enormous shortage of mental health professionals. So it is not just that remediation is less effective than prevention. We do not have. The staff, at least in the U.S., to deal with the current behavioral health crisis, and, I mean, and, and training these people takes more than a minute. So you know,
0: yep, it's 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 quite amazing because it's funny the healthcare service has to deal with it, and yet the healthcare service as a workplace is probably the most affected by it. <laughs> so, of course,
2: yes, of course.
0: And and we actually launched Healthy Place to Work in Mexico a couple of months back, and. Um, the audience uh, of over a hundred people were mostly medical doctors because of course in in most
2: of is a huge problem
0: and it's gotten worse. Yeah. So, I mean, with that all said, I mean, are you kind of sort of saying, what's the point? I mean, are we ever going to move the dial? Are we ever going to change behaviors, organizational structures? Is anybody going to get cut through in this space? What's your view? You know, is well, anything, you, know you hope,
2: I guess that's the that's well, another that,
1: not, not yep. much because we hope. But Nuria Chinchilla once said to me something, you know, I said to her because I've been going to USA for a long time, including pre to prior to and then through the financial crisis. And of course, her thing about workplace pardon, reconciliation was set back by the financial crisis. But she said, you know, if you're doing something that is the right thing to do. You don't do it because you expect results. You do it because it's the right thing to do. So I will continue, you know, pushing this issue. You know, I just wrote a thing that was in a, I reposted on LinkedIn that was in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette and called your doctor is sick and it's making you sick too, uh, with a colleague uh, Zakir Rahman. So you know, I, you know, I will continue, you know, trying to do what I can do uh, to to improve the situation. I'm not optimistic, but you know. Sooner or later, it might. I mean, it was one of the things that we are running up against is a movement to deregulate, not to regulate, you know, to give businesses more autonomy, not less. And so, um, you know, I, in the US, I'm not optimistic. In Europe, I'm more optimistic. There are people at ESA who tell me they're the European, there are various committees as part of the European Commission. And, and because Europe has, Fundamentally nationalized healthcare systems. Um, There's more concern about the costs, and and I think there's more recognition at the national government level about what is causing those costs to rise and how much the workplace is responsible for this. And there are people like Dan Carroll Black and, uh, you know, Sir Michael Marmot and the U.S. and the UK. Um, You know, I think think there's, uh, you know, I think there's more hope in Europe than there is in the U.S.
0: Michael,
2: any final questions for you? Wow, what are you know, kind of what are your advice to to leaders who haven't quite gotten there yet and maybe either a lack of knowledge, awareness, skills, whatever else, but like what's what's your advice about kind of how to um, for leaders that are maybe open but are just not quite clear?
1: Well, you know, I think I, the parallel I would make is with customer satisfaction you know, and customer loyalty. You know, the first thing you have to do is measure it. This needs to become a priority. When companies said, you know, customer loyalty is a priority, they began measuring it, they held people uh, accountable for that, and they would try little experiments and things to see what they could do uh, to make the customer experience better. They, they they did customer-centered product design or experience design or whatever. Um, and I, so, so, so this begins, by making it a priority this is be it it begins by making it a priority and measuring it because if I don't measure behavioral health if I don't measure physical health which is relatively straightforward to do we should both know if I don't measure it I cannot tell the state I cannot tell if anything's working I cannot tell if it's getting better or worse and so therefore I think measurement comes first and making it a priority just as they've done with customers or have they done with other things. So once you make something a priority, then you become open to trying different things, you know, learning, becoming intellectually curious about what is a priority, and then when you experiment and, you know, prototype and try different things, there's a hope that it will get better. But the problem at the moment, I had Lazlo Bach, the former chief people officer of Google. Say to yep. me, recently, because I'm writing a new book on how employers could fix um, the health system in the U.S. if they cared. You know, he said, basically, he said CEOs, even at Google with 100,000 employees and people are the most important asset, all this other stuff, he said, nobody cared. The senior leadership fundamentally doesn't care. And so if it's not a sufficient priority.
0: So here's a question. If you were setting up a business tomorrow, what would you do differently? What are the fundamental things in terms of how you set that organization up to make sure that it doesn't impact negatively on the people? And in fact, it's the exact opposite. It is a place where people can uh, be healthy and be energized and do great work. What would you do differently than been done at the moment?
1: I would do two, only two things differently. Uh, number one, I would measure behavioral and workplace health regularly and, and, you know, and, and, medicine usage and all that other stuff and the second thing i would do which is not that hard to do i have a friend who's doing this now at a healthcare organization in the u.s called one medical i would use employee-centered job design which includes by the way the tools that we give people renee cassay who's a student at stanford um he's a doctor maxofacial surgeon when he was in canada he said i can't stand the goddamn um you know um electronic health record system we're using he built a different electronic health care record system off of apple off an apple you use user interface he added features by talking to doctors and saying what do you need he got a million and a half users he sold it to Telus, you know so so that tells you you know it is possible to do by the way telus has done nothing with it but that's another story uh, you know yeah and renee is now starting a different um, kind of company but you know that that tells you that, that you know that it is possible to build you know user-centered um user-centered software you know i when i did a case on a guy named zia yusuf i actually interviewed Hassel platner um, the, the co-founder of sap and the Stanford School of Design is called the Hassel Platinum D School Design School, and he said we need to have software designed for people rather than people tr- crammed into the software that we that the software people have designed for them. And I think that's right, and it's completely possible to do. So you can have, so I would have a I would have D de- de- design thinking in terms of everything I did, not only the work but the tools that I give people. You know, make it, you know, make it uh, design center, use design thinking for that and measure. It. And those would be the two things.
0: And from, from an organizational hierarchy, uh, would you go flat structure or would you keep the, you know, the, the current? I don't,
1: I, don't, I don't think flat structure is, I mean, you know, we saw what happened with Zappos. You know, I, I, I don't think flat structures necessarily work. I do think I would have a pretty broad span of control. I would try to use teams, you know, because I think teams are, are more effective and people learn better when they're uh, helping and collaborating and i would certainly you know put in a compensation system that paid people not just on their individual performance but on the well-being and welfare of the whole so they would be concerned yes. about the welfare of the whole i would worry a out. lot about how i would measure them but yes
0: would, would you would you mandate transparency around salaries
1: uh not necessarily but it would not be something i would oppose. Hmm.
0: OK, I think it's interesting because, you know, these are all the things that I think we we have to do. You know, remember Ricardo Simpler in yeah, yeah. you know, he was a big fan of that. And uh, people allegedly were able to um, pick their own uh, salary. And when people were given the power to do that, they actually chose one lesser than the one that yeah, they would have, you know. So it's, it's interesting. And when you demo- democratize the workplace a bit more, it's interesting to see how that plays out, too.
1: But, you know, he, that's, I think, an, an interesting illustration. There was all, you know, there was all this talk about Tony Say of Zappos and Ricardo Samler and all this other stuff. But it never really, you know, I mean, it was great for conferences, but it never really went anywhere as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because he's speaking at a conference in Europe uh, next, uh, I think. The yeah, well, you know, it's, 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 it's great for the conference, actually.
1: but, they, you know, and people come and, and they nod their heads, but, but most of them don't do anything with it.
0: The transparency piece, I think, could play into um, you know the gender equality and yep. um, diversity and all that, and you know yep. just if, if the transparency is there, it's amazing what it can actually throw up in terms of the inconsistencies that are going on in in organisations. So um, it goes go back to
2: one of the that you mentioned, I mean, that you wrote about early on, Jeffrey, around the knowing doing gap, right? And that that continues to play out again and again and again year yes. after year. People know. But they don't, right? do. But they don't that's,
1: do. That's exactly right. That's exactly, yeah. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, the knowing doing gap still still uh, still exists. I mean, and it's because I think people are not, you know, many people are not serious. I mean, you know, one of the chapters in the knowing doing gap is talk substituting for action, meeting substitute for action, going to conferences, substitute for action. You know, so I, I you know I sit and I listen to Ricardo Semler and if I go back and if I don't change anything in my organization it's been a complete waste of time of course right. you know and so or I go and I you know I read a book or I go to some the workshop or something you know you have to knowledge is only the first step if you do not take that knowledge and do something with it uh, and change what's going on then nothing will in fact change
0: well the good news is Jeffrey that we uh, have been interviewing a lot of organizations and some of them are doing great work and they're doing yes. things differently and they're listening to you and they're actually, um, particularly with regard to job design and yep. uh, creating meaningful work and the like, uh, they're making a real difference. And uh, an organization, just even this morning, we we're talking about you know uh, the, the managers actually having their own performance measured by virtue of the health of their team. Uh, so, you know, some some organizations are getting this right. I think you could get very depressed by believing everybody's getting it wrong. But I think our job
1: there are there are, there are places that are doing it right. The question that I would ask is, um, you know, is is will is will these initiatives be sustained and will they be sustained in the face of, you know, economic, uh, you know, economic stringency or will yeah. they be sustained in the face of, you um, leadership turnover. So, so, so the question, yes, there are organizations that will, that will do things, people will get the right ideas, you know, through the work that you guys are doing and, and through a bunch of other initiatives, you know, hopefully people will, will begin, but, but I also, you know, I also want to see this stuff sustained, you know, I mean, you know, every, as I say, the difference between, uh, per se, the famous restaurant in New York or the French Laundry run by the same guy and me is that he can do it over a long period of time for a lot of people, you know, any, anybody can cook a good meal once, but the, but the issue is, can you sustain? And you see this with companies in all dimensions, you know, you see, I mean, it was like, you know, this, the whole premise of Jim Collins' book, Built to Last, Any anybody can be successful for a nanosecond. But, you know, but the question is, can you build a set of culture and values and management practices that will persist over, you know, over decades and over leadership succession and particularly over the economic cycle? I still remember interviewing some journalist called me and she said, you know, all these companies, this is like the last time there was a big economic boom. She said that, you know, the companies are, you know, tell me people are the most important asset and people are wonderful. And then she calls me back and she said, well, these same companies are laying people off. I said, I guess they didn't mean it, you know? And, and so that's, you know, and so you see already as I said to you earlier, it was somewhere on my newsfeed yesterday of the companies that are beginning to do layoffs and, and you cannot have a healthy workforce in the in 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 the presence of enormous levels of economic insecurity, fear is not good for your health.
0: Absolutely, and and I, I you know I see that change coming, and I, I you know all those organizations that are saying this is important and all that. Uh, yes, it is while they're you know the employees are in charge. But if this shifts and suddenly the organizations believe they have the power and the choice of the marketplace. It'll be interesting to see which ones really believe this and really take it seriously and continue. But but hopefully there's lots of them out there and an increasing number. Well,
1: that's because you guys are doing your wonderful work, which you know, which 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 you know, which you know. If you're, <laughs> the, so you know, you guys, you know, you're going to help save the world. I hope, so, you know, <laughs> or at least save, or at least save some people's lives. I mean, you were doing, you know, in some, you know, all kidding aside, you were yep. doing the Lord's work because you know people literally are dying. You know yeah. the, the, the suicide rate in medicine in the U.S. is twice the national average. I don't know if you know this in the U.S. On average, almost a doctor a day kills themselves. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's a, yeah. you know. I mean, the the, the the people are they're they're you know. I mean, the stress and depression are are, are serious issues.
0: Yes, so, yeah, absolutely. So you know, like, you know, you, you can when you get into it, and you know, when you shared what you shared, and I did more research myself, and there are people going through absolute hell in workplaces and the worst thing is it doesn't have to be like that. That's exactly right. That's the most annoying thing. It's the most annoying thing. It's just the the certain people don't understand that there is a different way and it can get all of the results um, and more and that's what we've got to kind of prove to the world and thankfully with the support of people like you uh, we'll be able to do that and we'll be able to tell the stories of the people who are getting it right so um i honestly really thank you so much for uh, inspiring us but also for supporting us along the way and hopefully we'll do you proud with the the book that we produce uh, I'm sure uh, you'll you'll be the one of the first to read it i can guarantee that we'll we'll send you a draft um, b- before we release it to the world so you can tell us what you really think of it okay Yes. And Jeffrey,
2: well, I, I, also, I, I think it's
1: important to tell the stories of the companies that are doing it right. And I also think it's important. I mean, you know, Jack Welch um, used to say that culture change requires you being relentless and boring. And I think that's true for this as well. You, you have to be reasonably relentless about this yes. because it's, it's not going to happen quickly. And it's not necessarily going to happen easily. But at the end of the day, as I used to last summer or the summer before, I gave a talk to the Stanford executive program about this issue. And I said to them, I said, sometime between today and 20 years from today, there will be a change. And the reason why there will be a change is because our current trajectory is literally not sustainable. I mean, if you look at what's going on with healthcare costs, um, around the world in all economies not just the developed economies but in places like india and china and you know and in and, and, and the south of you know latin america you, we are on a trajectory that is simply not sustainable um, yeah. unless we unless we address um, stress and depression and and the thing one of the and one of the sources, not the only source, is is of course the workplace. So 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 this will have to change at some point because it will be like something that just is not it just doesn't function anymore.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah. well listen Jeffrey you, sorry uh, Michael you had one
2: last thing I to say, to say uh, yeah as we kind of wrap up I also want to thank you for your inspiration and leadership. Um, it was years ago that I read the knowing doing gap and it was you that was part of the the book launched that Jennifer, Robin, and I did years ago with Great Place. And now this one, which I think is really important and really significant. And I look forward to continuing to learn from you. So I appreciate it.
0: That's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to be in touch with you. Yeah. yeah. Have, have a safe journey to uh, Barcelona.
2: And if by any
0: chance I happen to find myself there, we'll go out and have a drink, okay? Yes, of course. Fantastic. Jeffrey, you're an absolute gentleman. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have it's a nice Thank
1: you. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Take care. Well, I think it's obvious why Jeffrey inspired us to set up Healthy Place to Work a long number of years ago. And based on that podcast, he's still inspiring us today. What a wonderful, wonderful man and a great contribution to this area.